Welcome back, everybody. It's time for the beginning of season three of Let's Go Steal a Podcast. Originally, I was going to record an episode with Corey that would have caught up uh, in between the last episode and this one, where we discussed the movie Widows, but then we watched the movie Widows, and it was so bad that we could not. It was- I always thought Widows had a good like cast. Okay, so the voice you're hearing, obviously, is Lisa Lynn. She's back with me. Hello, it's, um, yeah, just a little quick aside. We won't talk about this for too long. Um, we actually probably could have made an entire podcast just dunking on this movie. But we, Corey came over to my house. We watched this. And it was painful. Like, it felt racist. It opens with this very uncomfortable kissing scene with Liam Neeson. Um And it just got worse. Like you would forget that Colin Farrell was in it and then he would show up and everyone was mean. It was, it was bad. I can't even remember all the awful things, but there were a lot of them. If you enjoy this movie, uh, that's cool. I mean, I don't want to yuck anybody else's yum, but. uh. Cast was great. I heard like they had some really good people in the cast, but the cast is amazing. And they would have minor characters who would show up, and you're like, "Oh my gosh, it's that guy! It's her!" And you get all excited, and then you're like, "This is just trying to distract me from how horrible this movie is." So basically, the material sucked, even though the cast was good. Yeah, material sucked, and and it's crazy, like. Gillian Flynn wrote the screenplay. Yeah. So, like, there's no reason for this movie to have been bad, but it was. Um, yeah, so we're not going to talk about Widows. So we're back today to talk about the premiere of season three, which is called The Jailhouse Job. Uh, I mean, Lisa, you're back. This is my introduction of you. <laughs> Um, I was here for the season two premiere, so I'm here for the season three premiere. You're like like, you're like my Dean Devlin. Um, I'll be the John Rogers. You be the Dean Devlin. Who directed this episode? Uh, John Rogers wrote it, and um, a bunch of people were story editors on it. You could check the IMDb if you want to know who they were. Uh, It aired on June 20th, 2010. So this was a a summer summer premiere, which you know. Leverage just feels like a summer show to me. Yeah. I I love Leverage. So while the team attempts to break Nate out of jail, he discovers a client on the inside. Meanwhile, another mysterious client appears on the horizon. Um, So I love this scene at the very beginning because it just drops us right back immediately into what Team Leverage does best. And that's, you know, pulling a, a hilarious heist. Like in the middle of the action, like yeah, no, just like just drops you right in in media res, like and letting the audience catch up mm-hmm. while you know, reintroducing possible new viewers to everybody's role. You know, it's it's great. Also, if you if you can, I highly recommend going and listening to the audio commentary of this episode because Aldous Hodge is on it with Dean Devlin and John Rogers and. Every single time he appears and sees himself on the screen, he says, sexual chocolate. Okay, like, this goes back to discussion we've had before. Yes. Like, 
in a romance novel, the author must not ever refer to the hero as sexual chocolate. Never. But if Aldous Hodge wants to refer to himself as sexual chocolate, he is more than free to do so. Yes. That is the rule, people. Right? Yeah. <laughs> but just know that every, like, he'll be in the middle of saying something and then he'll just stop and go, sexual chocolate. And it's very charming. <laughs> It should not be, but it is charming because it's the way with it. And I'm sure Dean and John were just sighing, damn kid. No, they were like, What are you gonna do? It was hilarious. Like, what are you gonna do? Like, you're not gonna stop him from calling himself sexual chocolate. You just gonna sit there and let him call himself sexual chocolate. Yeah, this is like the West Wing, like let Aldous be Aldous. (laughs) Yeah. And then the way it's not just that he calls himself sexual chocolate, it's the way he says sexual chocolate sexual chocolate (laughs) with a much deeper voice so the scene is uh the team trying to break nate out of the courthouse supposedly while he's there on trial for some like you know meeting with lawyers or something uh but he's shackled and everything he's got the so the team is trying to get Nate out of this courthouse. Elliot's case, the outside. Hardison is buffing a floor. He trips Sophie. And uh, Parker's asleep in an elevator shaft. Some sort of African accent or something. Yeah, Hardison. just some sort of broken English. Uh, yeah. And he he just abandons his floor buffer and like takes off his jumpsuit and has a really beautiful suit on underneath. And uh, Parker is in the elevator shaft and she jumps through the hatch and the thing and tases the guards upside down yeah you know she sleeps best upside down okay as someone who's afraid of heights that that just does not rock that does not track for me like that will freak me out parker's not like other humans but but it totally works for parker absolutely Yeah. yeah yeah no and it's a great introduction to her character if you've never seen an episode before and then the commentary they're like okay this is the taser so track the taser throughout this season so we need to keep our eye on this taser oh yeah elliot disarms the outdoor guards throwing one into traffic which is pretty brutal even for elliot (laughs) and and then they get everybody out and nate balks at the last minute says i know i'm not gonna get in and then record scratch we're not actually in this scenario they're trying to convince Nate that they should do this, and he's actually still in prison talking Sophie, to Sophie on the phone. Sophie's describing like how the how the game plan is going to work. Like this is yeah. how this is this is how we're going to get you out. Yeah, right. And uh, Parker comes in, and and they said Nate's not going for it, and she's sad that she won't get to use the new elevator elevator rigging that Hardison got her for Christmas. Being Nate, and he's. Like, it's not going to work. The timing is all off and there's just not, it's going to, it's not going to work. Mm-hmm. And they say it's the, it's the weakest point. Like we can't break you out of this prison. It's too state of the art. It's too hard to get out of. So this Court is the courtyard is when we have to do it. Courtroom, courtyard, courtroom <laughs> is when we have to do it. And mm-hmm. Elliot's all like tripped up on this, you know, we owe you, 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 you sacrificed yourself and you went to prison for us. And holding a grudge. He's not on the bandwagon. Hardison is so holding a grudge <laughs> through most of this episode. Mm-hmm. And uh, I love <laughs> when he's like, I did the crime. I'm going to pay the time. I'm going to, you know, and 
<laughs> Sophie says, Nate, what kind of world would it be if everybody who committed a silly little crime went to prison? <laughs> Complete madness. <laughs> and it's just the irony. It's so good. It's so good. And apparently Sophie is now using her real name with the team, but Nate's been a bad boy, so he doesn't get to know her name. And she has this shirt when she like turns to leave, the back of her shirt is like shredded down the back. And so you just see her like bareback through it. It's very pretty. And can we just talk about like apparently Hardison is a telenovela fan? Of course he is. They're they're looping over what Nate and Sophie are actually talking about. <laughs> and then he geeks out for like five minutes top, like explaining the telenovela plot line. <laughs> Pepe's twin brother Pepe is actually the father of her niece's <laughs> brother-in-law. Daddy, and then and then Ellie's looking at him like, "What the hell is the matter with you, boy?" But he said something, and no, the way he said it, I was like, you know, he could either be scoffing at him or he could be like, "Oh my god, really?" But in his <laughs> understated Elliot way. So I like to think that Elliot and Hardison are watching this telenovelas together. Because. Elliot would never admit to being a telenovela fan. No, not in front of everybody else. Not when Nate's but on there, the phone. But there is no shame in, in, in Hardison's game. Like, he will just park down and turn on Univision and watch telenovelas. Oh, yeah. You know, while you're just decoding something, you know, you got some some things running on the computers, just something to distract you with, a, you know. Like, you will find out who Guadalupe's baby daddy is. Yes. So uh, the CEO of this prison, his name's Adam Worth. He's giving this uh, photo of Nate to this mysterious woman who's standing in the shadows. And through her interpreter, uh, we find out that she wants all of Nate's files. I think what they said, like, I think John talked about it in his blog or like on the commentary, we're going global this season. Yes. Season, we're going global. We are. It's it's no more small potatoes. <laughs> we haven't even gotten to the potato episode. Uh, <laughs> So she wants all of Nate's files, and and when he kind of is resistant, she's happy to threaten him with state, federal, and international investigations. So, um, and he like brags about his how he started this business of prisons, private prisons. Like, you're one of those who got a million dollar loan from Daddy and thinks he's a self made man. Yep. Yeah. Yep. I'm I, I'm the president, CEO, and blah blah blah. Whatever. And- and maybe this season we'll find out who the nastiest crew is on the other side of the Atlantic. Yeah, that's true. Uh, and then we get to meet our client for this episode, and it's very exciting. But can we just talk about like how Elizabeth Can- Elizabeth uh, Canalis Canale? Sorry, sure. It is Elizabeth. Uh, is it Canavale? No, that's Bobby Canavale. Who is apparently an ex-girlfriend of George Clooney's, if I remember correctly. Wow, she looks a lot like a mall. So that's uh, Elisabetta Canalis. Yes. But, like, they just had her in the shadows and made her all, like, mysterious and menacing. And then yes. that move at the end when she's like, Rome wasn't built in the bed, but it burned in one. And then she blows out the candle. And it's just yeah. Like, Oh, they were they were like geeking out about that that shot. So they apparently had this like brand new prototype camera, and so all of that is completely natural light. So she's, um, you know, in complete darkness. And then when she lights the lighter, the way that she's shot, like they don't have any other light source on her. It's only the light coming from 
the the flame which if you've ever taken a picture in the semi-dark is very difficult to get a great shot like that um with a fast with the yeah with a fast shutter speed and so it looks so good dean who was like geeking out about it <clears throat> with the camera dean was it dean? yeah it was dean and john mm-hmm. yeah if they'd been talking about clocks then all this would have gotten into it i'm sure <laughs> he loved the watch that man um then we get to meet our client for this a episode. Very, very special guest star. Very, very special. special guest star, Edwin Hodge, who is Aldous Hodge's big brother. And he plays Billy, who uh, is pushing the, the library cart around and giving books to the inmates. So I mean, like, you know, immediately I have a soft spot for him. I would say, like, we were robbed that the Hodge brothers did not have a scene together. We were robbed. Yeah. We were robbed. Yeah. We were robbed. Maybe. But then also, like, can you just, like, you can kind of, like, once you think about it and you pull up their pictures together, you so see the family resemblance. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think uh, the scene in a minute when he's freaking out in the freezer, he he does have some, like, mannerisms. mannerisms. And the cadence and the rhythm. Yeah. Like, speech patterns and rhythms and, like, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it might, maybe it would have been a little, like, huh, if you'd seen them together in a scene. But yeah. So, but I love he gets Nate a, a copy of a Seamus Haney book and he calls him Seamus. <laughs> Seamus Haney or Seamus Heaney. I've never uh, heard of Haney. Huh? Yeah. I never heard of him. Oh, he uh he like translated a bunch of things like uh Beowulf and stuff. Then right after he drops off the book with Nate, he heads off down a hallway and uh these other inmates follow him. So fighting senses are going off. Yeah, and so he tells a guard, hey, I think something's going up, going down over there, and the the guard tells him to, like, buzz off. He's like, whatever, mind your own business. Uh, but Nate can't do that, so he follows him down, uh, you know, follows him down that hallway, and he's being attacked by the inmates with a shiv, and he saves, he saves Billy, and, and we find out that Billy found a dead inmate the other day, and now the gangs think that he did it, and so they're out for him. And it turns out he's just an accountant who accidentally crossed state lines with beer in the trunk of his car. I'm like, look, I'm on Team Billy here. If I saw some weird guy, random guy, like digging into some kielbasa, (laughs) I think it was a little gross too. Yes. Yeah. I forgot to mention that Sophie like gave him the kielbasa and said there's a beer butt there, but yeah. Um. Yeah, I'm 100% on board with him because that would, like, make me throw up if I saw someone dig into kielbasa and then stick something in their ear uh, without even, like, wiping it off. I was like, what? Uh, I mean, kielbasa is delicious. I love kielbasa, but not cold. And I wouldn't put any part of kielbasa, like, in my ear. So apparently when they first shot that one, I think this was, like, his first scene that they shot, he played it more serious, and they're like, "Hey, can you give it to us kind of funny?" And they he did this instead, and they're like, "Yes," because <laughs> he's like, "Oh my god, oh oh, he's putting it in his ear." Uh, this is gross. Who's he talking to? Now that he has the earpiece, he's <coughs> in touch with Hardison, who's not super psyched to hear from him, uh, and is yeah. You know. The boy holds a grudge. The boy, he's a cancer. He's a can- cancer's hold grudges. What does this cancer does? He's a cancer, he's not a Scorpio, because we also hold grudges. I 
just feel like, like what is when is Hard- Alec Hardison's birthday? I don't know when Alec. Let me see when Alec. We can Google when Alice's birthday is. That's true. He's September twentieth. He's a Virgo. Like oh a my Virgo. god, he's two days older than my sister. <laughs> like a Virgo Libra cusp thing, right? Um. Well, the twenty second, yeah, is yeah. cusp is the last day. Yeah. So, so yeah. Hardison's still holding a grudge. He's not really yes. not going to hear from me. Hardison, yeah, Hardison's holding a grudge, but he does look into um, Billy Epping, and it turns out that this is like the harshest sentence for this this crime that's ever been put on somebody since like the Salem witch trials or something. But he's like, usually this is just like a, like like what Billy said. This is just like a fine. A fine. And maybe like six months probation. Don't do that shit again. Yeah. Like a little slap on the wrist, not eight months in a prison. And so, you know, he looks into it some more. And apparently the warden worth was consulted on the sentencing, which is really hinky. And so of course Nate stabs Billy. I mean, I'm going to have to have a lot to say about this at the end of the show when we do the thing. Yes. Yes. Oh man. I'm, I'm excited for your part, and then I'm really excited for my part at the end. <laughs> I'm so psyched. Jesus. <laughs> um, mine's more fun than yours. I think we're going to be really incensed at yours, and then mine's just a like an it's action adventure. What happened was disgusting. Yeah. No, it sounds fucked up. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, Hardison is warming up a little bit. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, this is something's not right here. Yeah. And then he's like, "Did you find us?" A client in prison. <laughs> and he's like, yeah. Then he shanks him. And <laughs> and then things move really fast. Because I'm like, at this point, if you're Billy, aren't you just like, what the a total like what the fuck? Yeah, like, no, Billy's like, I'm a, I'm gonna pass out now. And that is like you said, that is one of those moments where like that is totally Edwin and Aldous like having the same like mannerisms and yes. things. Yes. <laughs> Because that's what that's what he would say if if somebody sounded like uh, I'm gonna pass out now. And okay, so this you know we always have moments in episodes where there's the hand waving and you just have to accept what's happening because of you know the leverage lens or whatever. But Nate stabs Billy. Then they have to go to the infirmary, and all of a sudden Hardison is there as his cover. Um, like as his alter ego and also Elliot shows up not long after as a doctor and they just like already had these things ready unless how how far are they from this prison well first of all Billy is still requiring medical attention so Dr. Abernathy who we have not heard the last of by the way Uh, yeah This (laughs) this is the first of but not the last he would have had to get, they would have had to put that in, yeah, like like you said, like how did they put that in the works to get Elliot there that quickly? Mm-hmm. I mean, Lester Barrington Jones, like we can plausibly say maybe a couple days after or something. But if Belly still required medical attention, you know. Okay, so you think it's a couple days later and Nate has just come to visit him and that's why he's in the infirmary with him? I, maybe. Are you going to... Like, at what prison are you letting the guy who stabbed another inmate visit him in I the infirmary? 
I don't know. So to me, I was like, oh, this is happening the same day. But I guess, like, as you pointed out, like, it, 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 it wasn't. Maybe it was a little later because they do they do usually, if you have an issue like that, they do take you to a hospital um, from talking to my cousins who work in prisons recently um, oh. and my sister's boyfriend. Oh, yeah. Um, just with the Department of Corrections. Yes. <laughs> I should have had one of them on. Uh, <laughs> talk about things from the inside but um yeah okay so i guess it was a couple days and hardison can do anything in a couple days okay he can backstop the stuff he can backstop yeah the oh yeah okay then i'm totally on board because i thought it was like an immediate thing like this was just happening an hour later and i was like just physically how did they get there not how did they get all the paperwork done okay and aldis does a passport does a possible British accent is Lester Barrington Jones. Yes. Yeah, no, he wasn't bad. And he he's talked not, about how he, he loves doing accents. Um, and he's, he not, he's not overselling it. He's not. He's getting there. I'm very proud. My boy. I um, mean, I know all about him when he goes off the rails and goes over the top, but, but he, he, he's learning. He's getting there. Oh, yeah. He, I think he had a lot of fun in the finale of last season when he got to play like the menacing <laughs> assassin dude. Uh, and then immediately broke character when he thought Parker was in trouble. Oh, the Maltese Falcon job is still one of my, I think that is one of the best episodes ever it's made. It's so good. They're so, yeah. Um, yeah. So. But, uh, okay. So let's see. Hardison is Barrington Jones, like you said, and he's looking kind of to get into this business over, uh, in jolly old England, like prison, private prisons and things like that. So, uh, and then Worth is filling him in on all these super gross details of like, you know, prison labor and, yeah. and things like that. And how it was like this really growing sector of the economy. And yeah. $2 billion in the American economy. And, oh, and he like brags about the state of the art facilities and blah, blah, blah. Oh, so Hmm. Yeah. And Elliot is Dr. Abernathy and <laughs> and he takes Nate uh Nate fakes a dental emergency so that they can talk in private and he gets super intense with him. It's kind of scary for a minute. Like you think like Elliot may shank him. Yeah. Especially uh, when he puts on the restraints. Mhm. Mm and then uh the seat and, reclines, but yeah. that wasn't that wasn't in the script. Uh but Christian stepped on the little lever and it started going. And so Nate's reaction or Timothy Hutton's reaction is genuine. He's like, oh, what? I mean, like... <laughs> Wasn't expecting that. I mean, I think even Nate would have gotten, like, look, seeing Elliot like that, he would have gotten scared. Yeah. He's it's like, are, are, are we good? <laughs> uh. And then he's just... And then he just starts... He's, he breathes, Nate. Yeah. It was cool how uh, he just kind of commandeers the computer with the, the flash drive. How and far he's come in terms of technology. I know. I'm so proud. He can use Photoshop. He can use a thumb drive. quality time together. They're all just growing so much. I think at this point, like, the bromance is, like, canon now. Like there's the bro the bromance is there. Yes. It's not just my goggles anymore. 
it's a romance. It's real. It's like, yeah. Um, so he fills him in on the con. So we, we're dealing with Adam Worth the Fourth, who is old money, a political dynasty. His dad was a governor. His uncle was an attorney general. His brother is a congressman. Uh, he's never been able to get elected to be a dog catcher, much less anything else. So couldn't get elected to anything. So he started a prison or five, a chain, a franchise, if you will. Oh God! A prison franchise, one on every corner. You can hack it in the political circle, so he's going to do the whole business thing. Yeah. yeah. Mm. And oh, we we have Parker saying Sophie's name. She's like, "Who's Sophie?" Oh, you remember? We can't tell Nate a real name. Oh yeah, Sophie. Sophie. So- Sophie. <laughs> Uh, and Parker and Sophie get into uh, our crooked judge's chamber, which is in, in a pretty fun way. They're arguing and they bump into the judge and they each lift things off of him. Mm-hmm. And then they uh, they show off who got what <laughs> in a little competition. And it's just so fun to see them working together again. And I've really missed Sophie. <laughs> I'm so happy she's there. Uh, and they find a safe deposit box key. They find Billy's file in a safe in his uh, office, along with a, a lot of other files for regular citizens. I, I think John said they were actually arguing about Citizens United or something, or they're pretending to fight about Citizens United, about yeah. speech whatever, when they're walking in. Yeah. <clears throat> and... Uh, yeah, they find out that apparently there are four other judges who also opens, opened safe deposit boxes at the same time. Mm. And through that, they they discover so, that... Sophie pretends to be the judge's wife, checking on the account. Yeah. And then, of course, you know, Parker cracks the safe like they split, because that's what Parker does. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, I didn't even say that, because obviously, if there's a safe, Parker's in it. <laughs> And, and that's where she finds the files on Billy and a bunch of other people. Uh, and as they investigate further, they, they discover that Rockford prison gets state funding. And if they like with a hotel, they, if they fall below a certain occupancy, they're not going to get the state funding. So Rockford can't fall between 70 below 70% occupancy. So they, make up fake charges to get people tossed or you know they increase the punishments for people worth is bribing the yeah. judge to give these harsh sentences so he can maintain his occupancy yeah for uh they say funny and which is why poor people like billy are in prison for eight months for bringing liquor across state lines which is ridiculous yeah, yeah. and they you know they say they're like but like why these people and Elliot points out, like, these are good people. These are honest citizens who trust the law and they trust it to do right by them. And so they don't even get lawyers. They can't afford them or they just figure they're going to be fine like Billy did. And he just said, I thought I was just going to sign a thing. I would get a fine and be on probation. I was done. Next thing I know, I'm in here for eight months. Yeah. 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 So these are just good people who trusted the system and it because it's crooked in this situation. Yeah. And in the commentary, it was great. Um, you know, they were making this commentary in like 2010, 2011, uh, before really the spotlight of Black Lives Matter and, and things like that. But, you know, John Rogers says, you know, uh, I, have, I have family members who are, 
or who are cops and and I like some cops, but there are bad cops out there. And <laughs> Aldisaw just like, I don't, I don't really like cops. <laughs> and he's like, I I respect the law, but I don't respect most cops. And and John Rogers is like, yeah, if I get pulled over at two in the morning and you get pulled over at two in the morning, we're both having different conversations with the cop. And I totally see where you're coming from. And it was just this like nice moment where he's like, yeah, I I I I understand that you you face a different reality than I do as a wealthy white man. <laughs> no. Um, but back to our evil prison guy. Uh, <laughs> to to get him, they decide they're gonna loop him into politics because that's his weak spot because he hasn't been able to get elected before. So Sophie takes over a state party election and headquarters office. And then Nate was like, of course, it was so easy. Of yeah, course. Hardison's like, oh, you're so good at reading. And he's like, that was like the most obvious thing ever. I would be yeah. eating at him with his yeah. father, with his brother, the congressman, his dad, a former governor, whatever the hell his daddy was. Yeah. He's got to be eating at him. Mm-hmm. Um, so <clears throat> she tells him that this uh, Senator Gary Camp, who works, Gary Camp actually works on the show, Leverage, uh, has been caught with a young blonde and we see a nice little flashback to a <laughs> photo shoot with with Parker in a green screen. <laughs> it's Sophie coaching. And she's like, oh no, not that. I didn't teach you that. I didn't teach her that. Soft, like, soft, soft. Remember when we And she's like, arr, And like then, reaching weird. And I believe at some point, like, because Parker just has no boundaries. I think she... I think, does she try to take the dress off or something? She, she like has a little slip dress and she just drops it. But she's like looking straight at Hardison when she does this with like a little grin. Like she knows the effect it's going to have. And he's still such a gentleman. And he like looks away and he's like, why am I looking away? But he like continues to look away. Point, is Parker that aware at this point? Has she come that far enough? to? Um, I I think she's come far enough that she recognizes that they are attracted to each other, but she has not come far enough that she realizes that she like likes him, you know? Wait, like that Parker, that she has feelings and can have feelings for someone Parker's and then that someone is him. Parker still doesn't do feelings well. No. Started to accept feeling, but she's not like they're not BFFs yet. Yeah, but she knows like the reaction her body gets from men. You know? And so I think it was like, she's like, oh, I'm playing this character, but also I know this is going to get a rise for, out of partisan. For a thief, right? <laughs> a rise. <laughs> for a thief, I think Parker basically uses her body as an instrument. Mm-hmm. Like, to contour herself into those narrow spaces and crawl around duck vents and whatnot. So I, I, feel, I probably argue that she's in tune with her body and figuring out, like, if this is having, if having this reaction, this must mean something. So I need to figure out what it is. So I can... yeah. So I can figure out like how to make sure it doesn't affect me and stop me from stealing things. <laughs> yeah. um, and Hardison just is like looking away, like <laughs> why, am I, why am I not looking? That's uh, such a gentleman. He's so cute. I love him. Uh, so yeah, so Senator Gary Camp has been caught in a compromising position, so they're going to need to replace him really quick. And pretty much that's all it takes to get worth on the hook. And now they need to figure out. Because we are in a, 
well, but aren't we? But like now we're like all these candidates declaring this stuff. Like, is it really that easy, that quick to file the FEC paperwork and get all the path and all that stuff running? Shouldn't it take us some time to establish that? You know. Well, she like shows him that they already have campaign slogans. They already have a campaign ad. Like, I think she's implying that they've done their research on him and they've already filed stuff. They have the infrastructure. They, yeah. It's already in the pipeline, basically. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we're ready to go. We just okay. slot your name in and bam, <laughs> we're done. Uh, and she's like flattering him, like, we did all this polling, like the soccer moms are gonna love you. Mm-hmm. Like, as like, she sits right next to him in the short skirt and crosses her legs, and so he's a little distracted. And and the and it totally tracks for me where she's like, "You wear American suits now. Get rid of that." <laughs> yeah, that's going to change now. No more handmade in Paris for you. <laughs> no, but this man is always carrying around a suit in a dry cleaning bag, and I guess that's just to establish his character that because we need that prop later on. I'm just like, when is he changing? Is he like freaking Mr. Rogers? You can't buy that someone named Adam Worth the Third or whatever it is is fastidious. No, I can buy it. I maybe I'm weirded out that he's carrying his own dry cleaning around. Like you, you're thinking he would have his minions do that for him? Yeah, man, and it's just at every spot that he would go that he needs to change again. I don't know. Well, I mean, if you if you do multiple events a day, if you're on the, oh, I mean, for his everyday life as a prison CEO, whatever. But if you're um if you're on the campaign trail, then yeah, you need a couple of suits. He's not on the campaign trail yet. <laughs> Like, why this is just his everyday life he's walking around with dry cleaning no i don't know but it's literally the thing is it's literally just to establish that he has dry cleaning regularly and that's going to come into play later it's the gun that has to go off later it's chekhov's chekhov's dry cleaning chekhov's dry cleaning like chekhov's gun if you show a gun you never heard. Okay, so it's the 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 rule that like if you show a gun in in the first scene of the play, it has to go off in the second or the first act. It has to go off in the second act. Like you can't have this this important prop or object that doesn't do anything later on. You know what I mean? That makes sense. Like everything has to have its purpose in in the story. So in this one, it's Chekhov's dry cleaning. Now they've got to figure out a way to get Nate out of the prison and they don't have up-to-date information and they can't get the feeds from the cameras. So they're going to have to map it out old school and Nate's going to have to pace off the the whole place and like find all the... And at the everything. end, like Hardison's basically like, Nate, this is one ugly board. Yeah. <laughs> Sensors here, heat here automatic door here or something mm-hmm. like that. It's like- yeah, so they're like, they're making a virtual map and Parker's making um, like a physical map on a, a dry erase board and and Nate's making it on a, ch- a chess board because he can visualize all of this in his head and recreate it. Chess board. 
chest, Nate, of course. Of course. Hand in hand. <laughs> but yeah, that is one ugly board. Yeah. He's like, yeah, I see it. And so Nate's decided on this route, but there are lockdown doors in the way. There are all these heat and motion sensors, plus the fact that he'll be gunned down once he gets to the parking lot or the roof. And because Worth <laughs> told his top guy, look, I'm running. We got to clean up. This has got to go legit. Do what you guys got to do. I don't want to yeah. know about it, but as of today, your shenanigans, like off books, like <laughs> under mm-hmm. the stuff like no no more yeah and the and the guard says well we're gonna have to take care of billy because he found that body and of that guy that we were just supposed to rough up but we got a little overexcited and murdered him um and he's gonna look really good to a jury they're gonna really like him so he's like whatever just take care of him and this is and if if the guy if the guards don't like it fire them like why do i have non-union employees if i can't fire them like he's the worst and 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 you're talking like about like john rogers who is such a union guy yeah well i mean what's what's the most evil thing to a union guy a non-union guy (laughs) you do not cross the picket line ever no but also like just reinforces that worth is a jerk it needs to go down yeah yeah, and he I'm, still has dry cleaning. Press <laughs> for the dry cleaning. He does. Well, he has it. It's it's like <laughs> it's just what he has. He always has dry cleaning with him. Okay, so the guards kill the cameras, and um, two of them are given shivs, and they're told to make it look like a hit. And uh, Billy is finally about to leave the infirmary, and here comes some guys to shank him again. And, and that's true that's true but while that's happening then worth gets i guess he's talking to hardison again he's in the office and uh yeah yeah and then he gets a phone call while they're talking and it's it's the mysterious italian lady who says oh thank you for all the information you gave me by the way you should take a look at nate ford's visitor logs and tapes and especially pay attention to the tapes. So then they... Oh, with they, the telenovela. Don't the telenovela. And he's like, damn it. When we were talking about uh, all the characters kind of growing, Hardison getting better at the con and Ellie getting better at computers, Sophie, for the first time, is the person who's back at the headquarters and the nerve center, like, running the con or and, like, walking everyone through, which is she's super nervous about. and But she does a really good job. She's making the calls. Yeah. And then we get to meet the new Lucille. <gasps> it's very exciting. And she's beautiful, bright and shiny. And it's just a new era. Respect uh, for Lucille. Yes. Nothing right. but respect for, <laughs> for my Lucille. <laughs> As you said earlier, Dr. Abernathy is there to help Billy and take out the prison guards, <laughs> which is this is like a brutal fight scene. What the scalpels involved? Um, no, the batons. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, he does take the shiv from the guy, but I don't think he stabs him. Yeah, and then he's like, look at me, look at me, and then he hits him. And Nate comes in, and I think the way they, not just, like, the fight itself, but the way they shot the fight was kind of different than, like, a different style than usual, and it made it seem even I more think rough. I think 
Well, I guess they were in tight quarters in the Northeast mm-hmm. Falcon, but in this one, the GLA, I felt like they were just in a really, really, really tight, cramped space. So it's it's a matter of angles and the cameras and like you know and how it would actually phys- how it would how it would actually get choreographed like actually in a physical sense like where is everybody going to go because the room also has all the chairs and all that medical crap mm-hmm. so oh agreed and there's a wall and then a hallway and yeah yeah so yeah it was really interesting well, the way that they logistics issues basically yeah yeah, yeah which which makes for really interesting uh, mm-hmm. choreography and and cinematography there and then nate comes in at the very end and he's like mm, it's a little sloppy and elliot's like yeah new glasses which so those are actually his prescription <laughs> which i love <laughs> and he has the ponytail yeah uh, it's not a good look on christian the ponytail is not you don't a- like the ponytail no okay i don't want he just has it down naturally the ponytail doesn't work for me i Yes, but it's Dr. Abernathy. He's got to have the ponytail. Because you can't have your hair, like, getting into people's open wounds. Oh, that's gross. That's yeah. a sanitary, that's a yeah. sanitary thing, that's yeah. Gross. Yeah. <laughs> but the, the head guard dude, who also has not really, to me, not really well done fake tattoos on his arms. They look too fresh. Uh, I mean, I also feel like he doesn't really have the best leadership skills. No, but he's the best like lackey for worth and i think that's why he's the head of the guards he just does not have good leadership skills it's okay he's not gonna get a promotion anytime soon uh but he is conscious enough to call for a lockdown and Mm -hmm. they're they're trying to race through and get to the doors before they get locked uh but they don't but nate put folded up newspaper in the door jams because apparently a piece of newspaper folded eight times can withstand a thousand pounds of pressure. Which, well, there you go. Newton's third law says for every action, there's an equal or opposite reaction. So as much force as that door is putting on the paper, the paper is putting on the door. Theoretically. Sure, right? sure, sure, sure. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't take physics, it's fine. Yes, so Worth wants to transfer the money out of his account uh, and he has to go to the bank to do it, Sophie. Sophie does a good... What about Boston accent she did? Yeah. First Boston Bank. Just, yeah, first Boston Bank. That was quite um, easily, not- though, what I say. That was quite easily. I guess she wanted something mm-hmm. to be different enough from her, the voice she used as her, as as the campaign person, so she, she can't yes. hear that. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, and, and so he has to go to the bank to do it. So... They're in a lockdown, and he's like, all right, peace out. I'm going to leave. And Hardison is still there, and he says, don't forget your... Um, the checkoff dry cleaning. Checkoff's dry cleaning. Uh, <laughs> so he grabs his dry cleaning, and he makes a run for it. And I'm like, should you be leaving your prison in the middle of a lockdown? A lockdown situation? Maybe not. And then we get back to this escape, which I, I love. I love an escape. Uh, so Nate has exploded some, I guess they were pressure cookers or something. So, oh, uh, I haven't gone into this. The set for the prison is an actual prison in Portland that was empty. Because Portland it, just provides them with everything. Portland is, yeah, is like the Mary Poppins bag of cities. 
<laughs> and so they let them film in here. And I think it was empty. So there, it wasn't being used, but they, when they were walking around, they were trying to figure out how they would have Nate escape and they were in the kitchens and these things were there. And so they're like, well, we have, we have to get him to use these things. Uh, so I guess they were the giant, I guess they were pressure cookers because he does something to them and they kind of explode and it, I remember off all of- this fog, like uh, smoke and fog, um, steam. That's the word I was going for. I remember back when they did the um, two live crew job, and then Amy Berg was working on the episode, and then she came up with like the pudding hack, and then John Rogers yells, at, "How do you not use the pudding hack?" Or something. Yeah, like you come pudding- up with the pudding hack, you use the pudding hack. Yeah. So yeah, no, I mean, use your environment the way that they actually would if they were a real crew doing this. So they just worked it in. So good. Um, and the the campaign offices were actually the upstairs of the prison and they just changed it to look like prison, like a campaign headquarters. And all the, all the posters in the background f- were for other writers and people on the crew of Leverage. Oh. Um, yeah. Uh, so, yeah. So the the steam helps Nate beat the motion sensor. Then he gets into the freezer and goes through the freezer vents with a trash bag on. And that throws off the heat sensors later. And so, yeah, like, I, I'm not I, I'm in no position to question the math or the science. So I was I was reading some of the, like the groups and continuity things on uh, IMDb and they're like, that's not going to work. Um. But yeah, so then the, the guards have turned the cameras back on to try to find them. <laughs> and they uh, they see a helicopter on the roof. They're like, oh my gosh, there's a helicopter landing on the roof. But it's just a little remote-controlled helicopter, which we saw earlier in the episode. We saw Hardison playing with it when he was sulking. And then we saw... Yeah, and then we saw Parker playing, like holding the remote control. And apparently Aldous just grabbed the helicopter as something that he could play with during that scene. Like it, I don't know if they hadn't written that in yet or if he didn't know that it was written in and he was just playing with it. Like he just took it from the props guys. So yeah. So they get up there. Can we just talk about how much fun Parker was having with the toy plane though? Can we talk about how did, how could she see them? (laughs) She didn't know where they were. She's like, yeah, yeah. But I did love that the entire group of of prison guards like spook. They're like a cat, like being frightened by the helicopter toy. So great. Uh, then at the bank, the teller tells Worth that he got there just in time because someone else tried to close his account, like take the money out and close the account. So he's like, oh, good. Yeah, transfer my $250,000. And she says, oh, well, what about this extra money that's in there, too? Which he takes. He's saying he's thinking that it was the state party. Yeah, because they were going to meet his. I'm only only in if you guys put in two. Like, if I'm in for 250, y'all are in for 250. Yeah. So he's like, oh, yeah, transfer that. I'll take that money as well. And. Jerk. Yeah. And that. um. That bank is actually the post office in the courtroom, the courthouse that they've used for the other episodes where they've been in courthouses. Because Portland, so amazing. Um, Yeah, the guards on the camera see Nate and Billy uh, escaping and getting into a van 
which we know as Lucille, and they storm it, uh, only to find Parker and Hardison inside christening the van. <laughs> oh, they were not christening the van. They're because they're 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 you know making no, out. They weren't actual, but um, they they were not simulating making out. But okay, um, they were simulating uh, something else. But it's fine. Uh, clearly, there was some groping going. Yes, clearly. And it was not fake. Because she's like, what do you mean pretend? And he goes, hey. (laughs) And the prison guards are all like, oh. He's making up with his assistant, carrying on a fair, oh. oh." Yeah, they're like, you "You can't be here. I'm like, how is the parking lot open? I would assume in a lockdown, you would lock down the parking lot because they're like, you got to go. And he's like, oh, of course, of course. It's like an infuriating, like, bro code thing. They're like, okay, like, we're we're not going to bust you for making out with your assistant. Like, it's it's a side thing. And it's like, ugh, so gross. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, in the meantime, Worth has come back to freak out some more and try to figure out where everybody's gone and then we have so wait first they showed this episode to a, a, a theater full of leverage fans and that there was a huge cheer at this next moment which was the dramatic reveal of detective banano Yes, and he has like he has his little cane, and it is amazing because at the end of the finale, we didn't know if he was Even gonna alive. make it. Yeah, we didn't know if he was alive. Yeah, I think uh, like John Rogers talked on the blog, like one of the most pleasant surprises was how much like everyone came to love Bonanno. Yeah, <laughs> he's just this local actor who they just brought on to be like a one-off character. Mad love for Robert Plant. Beloved. Plans. I love for Robert Plant. All yes. the Robert Plant. He's awesome. We love yeah. him. We love Banana. And then, like, and he got promoted. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> A promotion he deserved, unlike Sterling. <laughs> Banano reveals that they have footage of Nate getting into Worth's car. And then at the parking lot at the bank, he gets out and steals his dry cleaning. Uh, <laughs> Which fits him perfectly when he's supposedly four inches taller than Worth. He's actually only like two inches taller than him. But, and but Billy cool. is still in the prison, so he didn't actually escape. I like that little wave he gave. He's like, hey. <laughs> and uh, he left behind, Nate left behind the list of the judges that Worth paid off. Which is obviously he trusts that Banana will take care of the situation. Exactly, exactly. And then he, you know, they they haul Worth off in cuffs and everyone's cheering. And then the the head guard tries to follow him and Banana like puts his hand on his chest and it's like this really like intense physical moment. And he's like, where do you think you're going? And he's like, ah! he, he cracked under pressure. No leadership skills. No leadership skills. Leadership. No, he's, he's the Gary Busey. Come on. <sighs> but- yeah. He's not creepy. That was not like creepy enough to be Gary Busey. No, that's that's the um, that's what John Rogers and Chris Downey call the henchman. They call him the Gary Busey, like from Lethal Weapon. Oh, he's not the big bad, but he's he's the underling. Oh, uh. yeah, he's the Gary Busey. Uh, yeah. So he's so creepy though. Gary Busey's creepy. 
Yes, I'm not arguing that he's not creepy. I'm just saying that that's what they call this character in Leverage. Oh, but I've never seen the Lethal Weapon movies, actually. Okay. So I... It's been a really long time since I saw any of them. But yeah, he was he was the henchman. Cool. And back at the apartment, Nate comes in the door and immediately says, what did you do to my apartment? Because the apartment got a makeover <laughs> and Hardison drops the, I'm the landlord and it was unoccupied and we needed it. <laughs> Which I really love how they redid it. I, I miss that it's not like a living room anymore, but it... It's a good nerve center. It's a good command center. Like, and they're all ready to go. Uh, Hardison has everybody booked on flights. They're going to meet back up in Paris. But the minute they open the door, there's the like... Board. One Ford or whatever it was. He gave us a weird name. Oh, yeah. Waldo Ford or whatever. And, he, and he's flying on uh, uh, <laughs> like Honduran air or something weird. <laughs> Basically like, okay. We all gotta lay low for six months until this cools off. Was it six months? I thought they were gonna just meet up in Paris. Disperse some. Yeah, they just needed to basically like we needed, they needed to, disperse. to disperse and then meet up again later yeah. with different and trails. So, so basically, Harden's like, we gotta disperse. So here are all y'all's tickets. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but they, you know, they get to the door and there are a ton of guys with guns, and then the mysterious woman comes down the stairs in heels silently. Meanwhile, in the last episode that we watched, Sterling comes clomping down those stairs in the most menacing way possible. But she's just like floats down them. Which is the superpower. That is a superpower. So Nate knew all along that there was a third party involved. Like what were the odds that he got put? You know, he's a guy who takes down uh, bad guys who take advantage of people. And what are the odds that he got put into this private prison with a bad guy who takes advantage of people. So he knew there was somebody pulling the strings the whole time. And, and, if, and she thought like he was mess- she was messing with them when all along it was part of the plan to let Worth know. She just did it a little bit earlier than they would have liked. Yeah. And they were, I mean, they were fine. They adapted. They're Bear, bear Grylls. Um, <laughs> adapt, overcome. And, <laughs> and, you know, Sophie... You know, maintained her cool, like walk the team through it. Mm-hmm. Called, yeah. called whatever audible she needed to call. <laughs> so this mysterious woman tells him that she wants him to take down Damien Moreau, uh, which sounds so like menacing. But my uh, beloved high school English teacher, my AV English teacher, her name was Mrs. Moreau. And so I'm like, oh, yeah, she could be an evil mastermind. <gasps> What's yeah. she mean? She wasn't mean, but she was very, very smart. And she she could have done that. Took, the, took no nonsense? No nonsense. Um, impeccably dressed and made up every day. I had her for freshman, pre-AP English, and then senior English and SAT prep as well. And she she was terrifying. But like in like a badass boss bitch <laughs> that you like wanted to be. Uh, yeah, she was she was awesome. Yeah. But um, everybody's freaking out because this guy is the big bad and yeah. Hardison literally calls him the big bad, and then, which I forgot. And I was writing up my notes and he said it right after I wrote it with capital B, capital B. We're freaking out. And it like nobody messes with him. Yeah, this this guy bankrolls the Sicilians. He he we have smuggled things out of North Korea. He does not touch him. 
like, yeah. this is like almost like, and then and Parker's like, we're getting all this stuff from these intelligence agencies. They can't. They're like, are you? Are you how, kidding? How, this is how not- are we gonna do this? Yeah. But then they had to be like, um, we guys, we don't really have a choice. Yeah, because she's saying, um, you know, if you do this, if you get this done, it'll clear your record. Um, and if you don't, well, I mean, bad things happen to people's teams all the time. So he threatens, she threatens his family and like, that's not going to fly. I mean, uh, immediately. but it does motivate him as she points out. You just see that look coming to his, like, look on his face and that like, look in his eye like no you don't mess with his people Mm-mm. Mm-mm. so nate kind of lays it out he's like we're gonna keep doing what we do we're gonna do jobs that help people but some of our jobs are gonna be jobs that will lead us closer to Moreau. and it works he slowly gets everybody on board you know um, and this is how we're going global this season yes because we gotta up those stakes these people are really good at their jobs we gotta make it harder got the Italian, this Italian chick. We got Damien Moreau, who's out there somewhere. Uh-huh. With no. a French name. Is he French? Who knows? Honestly, I don't remember. I was uh, fretting last time because I was like, oh my gosh, what happens to Nate? Does he live? <laughs> well, I knew he lived, but I couldn't remember exactly what went down in between. <laughs> so uh, Nate has obviously, since he's gotten out of prison, been drinking. He does some shots with the Italian lady. He's having a drink here. Uh, and Sophie asks him about it. And he says, well, I tried being a drunk, honest man and a sober thief. And now I'm just going to try being a drunk thief and see how it goes. And Sophie's kind of taken a page out of Tara's book where she just takes a sip of his drink. Um, and he asks her if she's going to save him or try to save him. And she says, you're a thief. You can save yourself. And then he tries to guess her name. But I wanted to talk, um, and that's the end of the episode, but I want to talk about Nate's alcoholism, especially in this episode, because on IMDb, they were talking about, you know, he has this drinking problem, but when we see him at the beginning of the episode, he's clean. Uh, He's not drinking in prison and he's fine. And that's not realistic because as we know from the 12-step job, he goes through withdrawals. But then I wanted to point out to whoever this person was that we don't see, we're not seeing Nate at the very beginning of his prison sentence because he was shot in the last episode that we saw him in. Um, So he would have had to go to the hospital and recover from that. And now he's completely recovered. He's not walking with the limp. He doesn't look weak. And it was like a shot to the gut too, which takes a little bit to get over. So my theory is that he while he was recovering in the hospital, he also detoxed and got clean. And that's why when we see him, he is clear-eyed and bushy-tailed. Bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. I'd buy that. Yeah. So. I'd buy that. Whoever you were on IMDb arguing with my show, <laughs> how dare. <laughs> Never read the comments, Steve. Never. No, it was, no, actually it wasn't that big of an issue. But um, I think what I wanted, they didn't even address the fact that he'd been shot. So I don't think that I still don't know if the crew knows that he was shot because he didn't let them know at the end of that last episode. He just, he until just, he, until he falls down and Sterling sees. Yeah. Yeah. They made them get on. Yeah. And, and it wasn't until they were leaving on the helicopter that he kind of collapses and Sterling sees him. I mean, like Sterling got a little concerned. 
Yeah, for a minute, he was like, what? And then he turned it off. I'm like, Sterling, have a feeling, okay? <laughs> but yeah, and that's um, the end of the episode. He doesn't know Sophie's name. I'm going to let you start with our first heist light, which has to do with the inspiration for this episode. So. One of the inspirations for this episode. I'm going to get a little Sophia Petrillo. Picture it. Okay. 2009. I am in law school, which I should not have been. <laughs> <clears throat> but um, I am taking this course called Parents, Children, in the State. And uh, around that same time, what was going down was that there was this judge in Luzerne County, Pennsylvania, Mark Chivarello, who got busted for fraud, wire fraud, bezelment, bribery, and all this kind of stuff because he was accepting bribes for giving excessive sentences to juveniles. Mm-hmm. And again, these are private facilities, just like Nate was saying, who needed uh, occupancy and all this other stuff. So that was basically the inspiration. And like John Rogers says, we tone it down for the show. Like if we really saw how evil it was. Yeah. It was it was like a ten, like an FBI investigation. And then he oh, and there were other judges. It was this whole scam. It was awful. And the juvenile law center like got involved. And it was just like like you said, it was evil and disgusting. And it was just how could this happen? And it, it was just so... And to kids, like, that's the dialing it down, right? Like, Billy, in this episode, is a grown-up. But <clears throat> these are juveniles. Like, these are minors. Yeah. And, like, yeah. To, to, to willingly and knowingly do that. Yeah. That's, I mean, like, that's like, you're going to the special hell reserved for people who talk in the theater. Poor <laughs> <laughs> Firefly. Um, yeah. <sighs> Yeah, it was called the Kids for Cash, Kids for Cash scandal. Um, it was for stupid things like basically trespassing in a vacant building, shoplifting, the and you know, like mocking a principal on MySpace. Like, do kids these days even know what MySpace is? <laughs> no, that's like, oh my god, that makes me want to cry <laughs> and like hug all these babies. Uh, I- and also, my thing is, I mean, juvenile law is supposed to give judges more discretion because we're thinking juveniles, they're not set in stone yet. If we give them a chance, maybe we can really get them on the right track. Mm-hmm. So and I'm just like, where were the prosecutors? Yeah. Even if, like, I mean, and I'm sure the defense attorney... Well, Obviously, probably these kids probably couldn't even afford a defense attorney. They don't have an overworked, beleaguered PD. But Mm -hmm. even, like, I mean, even for the prosecutors working this case, like, weren't they alarm bells going off? It's like, dude, I would have been fine with probation. Like, what's the deal? Yeah. You know, it's, uh, there was a plea agreement. And then on September 9th, there was a grand jury. There was 48 count indictment. Um, On February 18th, 2011, there was a jury in federal court found him guilty of racketeering. 
it's never the crime scene. It's always the cover up. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, you got to get them for tax evasion or something. Which, God, at least there's some way to get them sometimes, you know? It says, like, apparently here it says that they accept, he accepted a 997000 in illegal payments from, I think I think it's from the developer of, of one of those facilities. Oh, the, the Adam Worth. <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> His projected release date is December 30th, 2035. And he is 70 years old at the moment. So... God willing, he will rot and die in jail. You know, yeah, yeah. God willing, and the creek don't rise. Like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so that's super depressing. Very gross. And that is an evil person, and they yeah. deserve to rot in prison I- for doing that to those those kids who really, who knows, like what long term ramifications that had on those kids. I don't know. I haven't read anything. I'm sure, hopefully, some of those parents and those juveniles sued the hell out of him and the oh, state yeah. and the contractor and everybody involved. There's got to be. And, yeah. and what's so scary is that could have just as easily been you and me. In a yeah. time, another time in another place, if we had, if maybe just a few things were a little different. Mm-hmm. No, you just do. Yeah. If, if just you're in the wrong time, the wrong place do a stupid thing and you're in the wrong places and that's where you go to court you're screwed over and that might ruin the trajectory of your life but to pivot away from that depressing thing to go into this fascinating story (laughs) that i've got so um our villain in this episode Adam Worth IV was named for um, an actual real life criminal named Adam Worth, who, oh man, this man died when he was like 57, but he lived a life. He lived a capital L life. So I'm going to try to paraphrase because this is only me going from his Wikipedia page. <laughs> so, like, there's so much more, I'm sure. Um, so he was born into a poor Jewish family somewhere in Germany. We're not quite sure. Uh, uh, his name probably originally was Worth with an E. Uh, and when he was five, his family moved to uh, Cambridge, Massachusetts. And oh. he ran away from home. Um, so he was born in 1854. No, no, he he ran away in 1854. He was born in 1844. So when he was 10, he ran away from home. Okay, how and, does this shit have to be at his house if he's running away? At right, his dad was a tailor. I don't know if he was a horrible tailor or what. Maybe. Obviously, he was not happy. So he moved to Boston first. And then in 1860, he moved to New York, where he worked as a de- clerk in a department store for one month. Um, I guess I'm just like, for the nine, 999,000 or 10,000 kids, like, they don't run away from home unless something is seriously wrong. Yeah, that's it's true. Wrong. And I mean, to be fair, a 10 year old in 1854 is very different than a 10 year old today. But um, so then when the Civil War broke out, Worth was 17. Uh, he lied about his age and enlisted in the Union Army. Uh, he served in the 2nd New York Heavy Artillery, Battery L. And uh, he got promoted to sergeant within two months. Then he's he was a veteran? Are you saying he was a yes. veteran? Wait, but wait. <laughs> At 17. <laughs> Um, He was wounded in the second battle of Bull Run and he was mistakenly listed as killed in action. So he was, he finds this out. He got sent to a, 
the um, Georgetown Hospital in Washington, D.C. And when he found out he'd been listed as killed in action, he was like, well, bye. <laughs> so, he's a deserter. <laughs> yeah. No, he wasn't a deserter. He killed, he was killed in action. It, there's the paperwork and everything. So then after that, he become begins his criminal career. He becomes a bounty jumper. So he would enlist into various regiments uh, under assumed names, get his bounty, and then desert. So yes, he was a deserter at that point. Uh, at this point, the Pinkerton Detective Agency starts to track him. And uh, so he flees to New York and then he goes to Portsmouth. So, uh, so did the article, did the Wikipedia page ever discuss what made him turn to that life of crime? No. Like what, what that switch was? No. He just, um, he just suddenly became a criminal. Yeah. Interesting. I mean, uh, just to wildly speculate, I can only imagine the horrors of war will change you as a person. Agreed. Yeah. Agreed. And running away at 10, you probably have to do a lot of things to make ends meet and to survive. Survive. So perhaps he probably, had, he probably had some a criminal background, but this is his career. So get ready. Because we have only just begun the life of Adam Worth. Um, settled in and get so, yeah, yeah, get comfortable. Uh, <laughs> so he becomes a pickpocket in New York. And he, yeah, so in time, he founds his own gang of pickpockets. And then he begins to organize robberies and heists. Uh, then he's caught stealing ca the cash box of an Adams Express wagon. And he was sentenced to three years in Sing Sing prison. Um, but he, of course, escaped soon after and continued his career as a criminal. So he started working for the prominent fence and criminal organizer, Frederica Marm Mandelbaum, who is fascinating. And uh, I think I talked about her in an episode uh, where I did, I think it was an episode I did all by myself uh, when I did a book recommendation for season one. Um, but she's in covered in Bygone Badass Broads by Mackenzie Lee. Everyone should read that book. So he started working with her, or with her help, he expanded into bank and store robberies around 1866, um, and eventually began to plan his own heists. He's leveling up. Yeah, he's leveling up. This is when he gets a little next level. In 1869, he helped Mandelbaum break safecracker Charlie Bullard out of White Plains Jail through a tunnel. Very uh, Shawshank. With Bullard, Worth robbed the vault of the Boylston National Bank in Boston on 20, November 20th, 1869, again through a tunnel, this time from a neighboring shop, which is literally, literally the plot for the Redheaded League, uh, the Sherlock Holmes story, which we'll come back to Sherlock Holmes in a minute. Uh, oh, I remember reading the Redheaded League. Yes. Um, so the bank alerted the Pinkertons who... Uh, who uh, tracked their shipment of trunks uh, that they were shipping the loot around New York. So at this point, they're like, you know what? We should get out of Dodge. So they moved to Europe, the two of them, Bullard and Worth. Uh, once there, they go to Liverpool first in England, and they take on different identities. So Bullard becomes Charles H. Wells, a Texas oil man. And Worth was a financier uh, by the name of Henry Judson Raymond, which he was a name that he borrowed from the founder editor of the New York Times, <laughs> and which he used for years later. They um, then they get into 
to a little bit of a love triangle with a barmaid named Kitty Flynn, who eventually learns their their real identities. She married Bullard, but apparently, according to the Wikipedia article, did not disfavor Worth. So I'm just like, okay, they're in this polyamorous relationship. Got it. Um, because in October 1870, Kitty gives birth to a daughter. Um, named Lucy Adeline, and then seven years later has another daughter named Catherine Louise, and both Bullard and Worth each claim both of the girls as their own daughter. So no one's really sure the paternity of these children. Oh, I mean, so, we did not have Maury, the Maury show at that point. So yeah, you know I mean, but they were still they were still partners, so I, it doesn't seem like there was any ill will, and I'm like, I'm still like, this is still supporting my, these people were in a relationship, the three of them. Um, oh, yeah. So when the Bullards went on their honeymoon, Worth began to rob local pawn shops. And then he shared the loot with Bullard and Flynn when they came back. And then they moved to Paris together in 1871. This totally supports your theme that they were the three of them. Yeah. So uh, when they get to Paris, the police force is still a mess after, um, because it's, this is just after the events of the Paris Commune. And uh, they they found this American bar, which is a restaurant and bar on the ground floor and an illegal gambling den on the top floor, which was very much like a speakeasy. And they had a buzzer that they would, um, they would buzz from the ground floor if there were people like police coming in to raid the bar and all of the the tables like went up into the walls. Uh, And so Worth, while they're there, Worth forms a new gang of associates, including some old friends from, from New York. And then William Pinkerton from the Pinkerton Detective Agency uh, visits this to the establishment in 1873 and Worth recognizes him. And then they get raided a bunch more. So they decide to abandon the, the restaurant. And uh, he, but he used one last time, used the place to defraud a diamond dealer. And then the three moved back to London. We're not done. This man. <laughs> so. How? so they move back to england they buy a place uh, a really nice place um he also leases an apartment in mayfair and joins high society so he's infiltrated high society in london which is not easy to do um it's like from like a a german boy who ran away from home in new york uh, okay so he forms his own criminal network and organized major robberies and burglaries through intermediaries and um the people that he would like work the schemes for never got to know his name. And he also was like really strict about, uh, he didn't like his subordinates to use violence at all. Yeah. So, um, eventually Scotland Yard finds out about his network, but they're, they can't prove anything. And this inspector named John Shore has like made it his personal mission to take worth out. Uh, And then uh, things start to go a little wrong. Worth's brother, John, shows up. Uh, He was sent to cash a forged check in Paris, but he gets caught and extradited back to England. But Worth manages to uh, get him out of that, exonerate him and send him back to the States safely. And then four of his associates were arrested in Istanbul for forging uh, for more forged letters of credit and all this stuff. And meanwhile, Bullard uh, is an alcoholic and he's becoming more violent. Uh, So he eventually goes back to Where's Kitty? Kitty, Kitty was still in London, but um, soon after Bullard left, she followed him back to New York. So at this point, 
we've had this breakup with the three of them. <laughs> There's no longer a happy trio. No longer a happy trio. Um, in 1876, oh God, it just gets better. Okay. Worth personally stole Thomas Gainsborough's recently rediscovered painting of Georgiana Cavendish, Duchess of Devonshire, which is this beautiful painting. So he stole it with the help of two associates and he liked the painting so much he didn't try to sell it and he would just like carry it around with him like every time he would move he would take it with him and the two dudes who helped at the robbery whose names were Junka Phillips and Little Joe (laughs) were not happy that he didn't try to fence this thing and so uh, Junka (laughs) Phillips it's spelled J-U-N-K-A tried to get him to to talk about it in the presence of a cop and uh, Worth obviously did not because he was not stupid and he was uh, real upset with that. He pays little Joe off to go back to the U.S. where then he gets arrested um, and he talks to the Pinkertons who alert Scotland Yard who still can't prove anything about Worth at this point. So yeah, so Worth loves this painting. He keeps it with him when he's traveling and organizing new schemes and robberies. Uh, he travels to South Africa where he steals $500,000 worth of uncut diamonds. Oh my God! He comes back to London, founds uh, a company and sells diamonds at a lower price than competitors. Um, and then in eight, the 1880s, he gets married to a woman named uh, Louise Margaret Boljohn. Uh, still under his Henry Raymond name. They have a daughter named Henry and a uh, a daughter, a son named Henry and a daughter named Beatrice. And they think it's possible that his wife never knew his real identity. And at this point, he smuggled the painting to the United States and left it there for safekeeping. Gainsborough Duchess painting? Yes. Um, okay, we're not done. We are not So he has all this all these diamonds. Mm-hmm. And then he sells them at below market rate. Mm-hmm. So how is he making money? Well, he didn't pay for those diamonds. Uh. <laughs> so any money you make off them, you're making off them. Um, yeah, there's zero. Okay, so he married the second chick, has two kids. Yes. Uh, in 1892, he, um, he tries to go visit Bullard who ends up who ended up back in Belgium and he's in jail um and Bullard had been working with Max Shinburn who was Worth's rival uh, when police captured them both but uh he found out that Bullard had died while he was in the Belgian prison so then in October Worth improvised maybe this was the issue he improvised a robbery of money of a money delivery cart in Liege uh, with two untried associates and it goes bad and the police capture him on the spot but in jail he refuses to identify himself and <laughs> so the belgian police are like asking around abroad and the new york police department and scotland yard both identify him but the pinkertons don't say anything <laughs> and max Shinburn, his rival is in jail and tells the police everything he knows and then he finds out um, he doesn't hear anything about his family in London, but he gets a letter from Kitty who uh, offers to finance his defense. Oh, right. Oh, Kitty. So his trial takes place in March of 1893. 
and they use everything they know. The prosecutors use everything they know about Worth, but he just denies that he had anything to do with any of these crimes. And he says the last robbery had just been a stupid act he'd committed because he just needed money. And all that all the other accusations from the British and the Americans were just mere hearsay. And he claimed that all of his wealth came out of legal gambling. And in the end, he was sentenced to seven years for robbery and was sent to Leuven Prison, where in his first year there, Shinburn hired inmates to beat him up. Oh, yeah. And later he found out that the Johnny Curtin, who was one of the the guys that he was robbing the thing with when he got caught, he'd put them in charge, him in charge of taking care of, of his family. But then he find out, finds out that uh, he seduced his wife and then abandoned her. She went insane and was committed to an asylum and that the children had been sent to his brother, John, in the States. <gasps> so wait, we're not done, though. He got released for good, early for good behavior in 1897. Oh, wow. uh, he, he returned to London and stole 4,000 pounds of diamond from a diamond shop to get funds. <laughs> He like immediately is out of prison and he's stealing diamonds. He visits his wife in the asylum and she can barely recognize him. Travels to New York and visits his children. And then, then he proceeds to meet with William Pinkerton of the Pinkerton Detective Agency. And he describes the events of his life in great detail. And Pinkerton writes this manuscript, which is still preserved in the archives of the Pinkerton Detective, Detective Agency in Van Nuys, uh, California. You can go read it, I guess, if you want. And then through Pinkerton, Worth arranges to return the painting of the Duchess of Devonshire in return for $25,000. The portrait and the payment were exchanged in Chicago on March 28, 1901. Uh, Worth returned to London with his children and spent the rest of his life with them, I guess being good. And his son, Henry, took advantage of an agreement between his father and Alan Pinkerton and became a career Pinkerton detective. (gasps) (gasps) (laughs) He died a year later, uh, January 8th, 1902. He was buried in Highgate Cemetery in a mass pauper's grave under the name Henry J. Raymond, (laughs) just not as himself, but a small tombstone was erected to mark his resting place in 1997 by the Jewish American Society for Historic Preservation. You want to go, you want to go see his grave now, don't you? I kind of do. And I'm planning to go back to England uh, next year. So I might have to go do that. So this was like a fascinating man. Like I had no idea. According to Vincent Starrett, who uh, was a big Sherlockian scholar, uh, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle based uh, Moriarty on Adam Worth. Holmes calls Moriarty the Napoleon of crime. Uh, and um, he was, <laughs> Adam Worth was referred to as the Napoleon of the criminal world, but it was because he was short. <laughs> oh, Lord. <laughs> so, yeah, he was like 57 or 58, and he did all of that stuff. That is one hell of a lie. I do not think this prison CEO should have a name for him. He didn't deserve, he just, the real Adam Worth deserved better. Yes. So. That is one hell of a life. Right? Damn. Amazing. Amazing. I Like, I want the movie. <laughs> and I, I want to know more about Kitty. Um, I love like, it. And you. I think you made a convincing case that there was a triangle there. Yeah. I mean, 
this is literally just going from the Wikipedia entry. And once again, it's my goggles just because I don't like a love triangle, you know, like I don't like it where two people like one person um, and the, that one person has to pick. I'm, I'm like, let's make things equal. Like a triangle is a very stable shape. Come on. So that's Adam Worth, the Napoleon of the criminal world. I am impressed. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, All right. So, Lisa, tell people where they can find you. I am on Twitter at LaFaresta1. You can find me there. All right. Yeah, you can uh, find me on Twitter as well at LibrarianStee. Yeah, you won't see us again, but you'll hear us again in two weeks, I promise, when we talk about the next episode, which I should have had pulled up already. What's the next episode? The reunion, <gasps> The reunion, but they already were reunited, and it felt so good. Oh, I'm excited. Just that we're on a new season. Uh, I get excited very easily. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for listening, everybody. Bye. Thanks. Bye. Bye.